All right, well, welcome to Workshop on a Tightrope. What can you expect and how can you prepare? This is a free mini class that we've put together um, just right before we're starting this workshop, this six-week online uh, class that is going to be catered really towards mixed-faith couples. And I'm Natasha Helfer-Parker. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, that's been my primary professional uh, identity from, gosh, almost 25 years now. And um, I've been working with mixed faith couples pretty primarily in my practice for about 12 to 15 years. Um, I am considered kind of one of the leading experts in this area. Um, there's not a lot of I guess there aren't a lot of us <laughs> that would be considered that, but there are others as well. So I'm really happy to be able to um, be here with all of you and joining with Alan and Katie who have invited me to be part of this process with them. So with that, let me turn it over to Alan and Katie to introduce yourselves. Alan and Katie, uh, if, you're, if you're in this um, live, you're in our Facebook group. So hopefully you know who you are. If you're joining and you don't know who you are, you may be confused. What is marriage on a tightrope? Maybe you joined the wrong group, but we do have a vetting <laughs> process, so probably not. But I'm Alan, and this is Katie. And I'm Katie, and we are excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a couple of days away from number of months worth of preparation and, and work to to kick off our our online course workshop on a tightrope. So we're we're excited, and as you all, if you're not familiar with with Natasha, you're about to be clinically, personally, she's just great. And so Aww. we're really excited. And yeah, let's, let's dig in. And again, as you're joining here, if, if you have any questions, I've got the, we've got the chat window up here. If you have any comments or anything like that, just feel free to do that and we'll, we'll jump into it. And I'll just say really quick, we are going to be sharing this uh, recording uh, of this class on kind of social media forums. So Katie and Alan, there will be people who might look into this who don't really know who you are, who aren't part of your Facebook group. So I will just True. add that they, Katie and Alan aren't a mixed faith couple. <laughs> they come at this from a personal perspective and lots of personal experience. And they started this podcast, this great podcast called Marriage on a Tightrope several years ago as they were um, working through a lot of the, the things that they were figuring out along the way and challenges. And they've created this great community um, and resource for other couples to be able to share experiences and um, be able to share their stories and suggestions and things that are that are extremely useful in these kinds of situations. So just a shout out to the two of you. Thank you for Thanks. doing a proper introduction. <laughs> <laughs> and for those that are joining live, if you do have a question, we won't say your name since this will be shared outside of our group. At the end of, of the recording, we'll stop the recording and kind of turn on video if anyone wants to say hi or just chat for a minute it'll be fun okay sounds good all right so let's get going so so yeah basically the idea of tonight's class is to help you kind of get an idea of what if you do register for our course what you're going to be signing up for and also how you might prepare or feel prepared to be able to sign up for the course we'll also be kind of touching a little bit about um, on motivation. Sometimes there might be one of you who might be really excited to take this course and be like, oh, let's go do this. <laughs> and there might be another one of you that's like, oh, that's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> so right. we're going to talk a little bit about um, how you can have those discussions in hopefully a positive way. Sounds so, perfect. Yeah. So I'm a big believer that in order to have a good experience, you kind of got to know what the guidelines and expectations are. That way we're all on the same page from the get-go. 
So I'm going to have um, the two of you kind of take these first four points, and then mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about the last one. Absolutely. So the the agenda that we're going to be going through is um, very specific to the marriage relationship and family life relationship. So we don't have an, an agenda for either side of belief or involvement with the religion. So uh, to make whether you are on the more believing side or the less believing side, there's not going to be any fear of Natasha, Katie, or myself uh, trying to get somebody to either leave the the church or Or abandon faith or to stay in the church. That is not the the role of this, of this course. Thank you. Okay. I'll take this one. So Natasha is an expert in a general field of study and well, Alan and I, we are experts in our own marriage and working with others in faith transitions. We've been doing this for about a little over two years and we've had a very, just the podcast. We're doing, the we've podcast. done the mixed faith marriage thing for about three and a half or so. Right. But as far as working with other couples, we have really the last two years have talked to a lot of people, worked with a lot of couples in our position. So we've heard a lot of things and, you know, um, you are the expert in your own life. So we will be recommending, um, recommending, um, self or couple authority throughout this course as a primary guiding force for all of you. Yeah, I usually say I'm like, I'm like a general guideline, but Mm -hmm. just because I can talk about statistics and what usually is effective or what usually is helpful doesn't necessarily mean that that will apply to your particular situation. So we want to give you a lot of authority (laughs) in deciding what's going to work best for you. Perfect. All right. So uh, what we don't want to have happen (laughs) is that you take your version of, of what you heard us say. And use that as a weapon against your partner back home. We we have the same fear for our our podcasts as well. We don't want people to take what either has or hasn't worked in our relationship and use that as a bludgeon um, or a sharper instrument of of war to uh, to hurt your spouse or to to uh, use it against them. Mm-hmm. That's certainly not where we want to go. Yeah, I would say confirmation bias is a thing where we we're wired to kind of hear things to help our perspective. That's normal. Um, that's part of being human. So I'm always very interested in, in hearing what people think I've said. <laughs> that's right. a very interesting thing. And, um, and then, you know, there's a difference between saying, well, see, I told you, you know, Natasha and Katie said this, and I've been saying that all along. Versus maybe saying something like, you know, that was really useful to hear them talk about this. And what do you think? You know, so you can use us, just don't use us like a baseball bat. (laughs) Right. Exactly. 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 All right. Katie? Oh, I'll talk about this. So um, this process takes time. And this is one tool in your box of tools towards meeting your goals. So I mean, this is just one avenue that we're providing for you. You may need to revisit it at different points of your journey as well as incorporate other tools. So we are not by any means claiming that all the things will be worked out in six weeks. That is not realistic. Uh, Alan and I, it has taken us 
you know, some time to work through things, but we've got it all figured out now, right? There's never <laughs> yeah, any issues. Never. None. Zero. Uh, um, but yeah, have those realistic expectations because it's part, it's going to be part of your success. And, you know, this, I would say is just a good, like any good roadmap, it gives you points and you can choose to follow them and there are different routes you can take. And so um, that's kind of what, what we're here for is to give you those, those key points to touch that we're going to touch on that you can work through. But again, there, you know, there are so many different tools in your toolbox you can use. And the last point I'll make is that, you know, we, whenever you're going to um, take advantage of, of kind of like a self-help program, which is a book or a class or a workshop, that's kind of more of a self-help type of, of resource. Um, it's, it's going to be useful and helpful if you have already kind of some basic um, guidelines and kind of um, starting place. You're, just, you're in a starting place where there's some fairly healthy spaces to begin with. And what I mean by fairly healthy doesn't mean that you have to be like perfect by any means, but just where there wouldn't be, for example, domestic violence types of um, dynamics between the two of you. Also, you know, maybe severe mental health issues or things that have not really been addressed that would interfere with your ability to take the content and the resources in this class and really be able to apply it in a way that would be beneficial to your relationship. So if there's severe mental health concerns or any type of um, domestic violent issue, which of course is physical, sexual, financial, emotional, um, I would really highly recommend that you get some marital counseling first, um, just to help you get to a, a more basic space of safety. So that then you can incorporate things like we'll be sharing in this class um, in an effective way. Yeah, Natasha, uh, we have a, a question. Yes. <clears throat> what if only one spouse is interested in participating? Is the course still worthwhile? Yes, I would say absolutely. One of my favorite books, actually, that I, um, that I read right at the very beginning of my marriage and family therapy training was by a therapist called Michelle Weiner Davis. And she wrote a book. I believe it was the name of the book, or maybe it was a chapter in the book that it said it takes one to tango. <laughs> so there, there is a lot that you can do when a partner maybe doesn't want to go to marriage counseling or maybe doesn't want to take this class or maybe seems resistant to some of the things that you're hoping to change or um, you know, improve upon in your relationship. So if you are inviting a, uh, your spouse to join you and they refuse, you can definitely still um, benefit from the materials, the content, the applications and strategies that you can use on your side of that fence. And, and it can also probably help you, um, you know, over the long run, have better decision-making skills as to whether or not the relationship is going to be viable for you. So right. in general, it should be. Plus, a lot of times couples, uh, one person is ready before another person is. Mm -hmm. So even if you take the class now, it doesn't mean that two or five months from now, your partner wouldn't be ready to be open to that material. And then this material will be yours. So you will have all the, the downloaded videos and the homeworks and the exercises and the recordings at your, um, at your fingertips. So you'll be able to share it with your spouses anytime <laughs> that they want to be open we haven't, to it. 
We have another very important question. Yes. When you play Monopoly, which Monopoly piece do you choose? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, my two favorite are the car and the dog. No, oh. I'm the Scotty dog. You can have the car. <laughs> okay. I'm the ship. See? I like the ship. We've all, we've all got it. We're fighting. <laughs> all right. All right. So moving on. So I think that um, it's really important to start from an intentional space. So this may seem like a silly question. Do I want to navigate a mixed faith marriage successfully and effectively? You might be like, well, duh. Um, but I do think it's important to ask it <laughs> because mm -hmm. believe it or not, there may be some other things that you may want more than that. Um, sometimes right. I really want to be right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be justified. And, um, and therefore, sometimes we have competing desires and wants. And so I think that really posing this question to yourself and what it's going to take, because it will take compromise, it will take flexibility, it will take new skills and strength and growth and, you know, all these things that, that are uncomfortable um, it's really important to start with the yes. And we're good at this as Mormons because, and I, and by the way, I use the word Mormon very loosely because I think we're all still Mormon in some way or another, because we all come from this tribe, but we come from this tradition where we were, you know, asked or expected to make decisions, right? And if you made a decision and you, it was going to be easier to stand by it. And there right. is some truth to that. Like that's backed up by some research. <laughs> so, um, so this can, you know, if you, if you come into this question, honestly, and really intentionally, I think that's an important space to start. Yeah. Katie, go ahead. Well, I think that that's one of the first things that Alan and I had to ask ourselves is, am I okay if Alan never comes back to church? And Alan, are you okay if, if I never leave the church right. and, you know, do, is that, do we want to stay together that we asked that ourselves that very yeah. first before we moved forward. And then once we had the foundation, we knew we wanted it to work, then we could build upon that. And there are in, in the hundreds of couples that we've either had dinners with texts, had conversations with emails from most of them, by the time they get to us have made that decision that yes, we want to navigate this. I would imagine most of the people that are watching would be in the same boat. Not everybody. We do get messages from people that say, I'm not sure if I want to do this. I'm not sure if I want to do this. Uh, that's, that, that's why we're asking that question. Like, that's what the purpose of the course is. You've made that choice to, to navigate it, to, to strengthen it. And that's what we're going to try to help you do. Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought that up because that reminds me of a point, you know, a lot of times when I'm sitting with couples that are just going to start or are thinking about starting, for example, just a marriage, a marital therapy process. Sometimes they are on the fence. You know, they're like, I'm, I don't know. Do, do I want this marriage to last? Is it, is it worth the energy and the compromise that I know it's going to take? Um, especially if we've got, you know, a history of maybe some really tough years, et cetera. So I think it's perfectly okay to not know 100%, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't know. Um, however, if you stay in this space of what I call kind of like um, wavering or on the fence, what happens is typically that the 10 minutes of the day that you're having a good time together, you're like, 
great. This is great. We're going to stay married. This is going to work. And then 20 minutes later, when you tick each other off, you're like, this is so not going to work, right? <laughs> so you're going to be on this like emotional roller coaster that's very wearying and very exhaustive and that will really wear you down. And if you yeah. did have any hope of making the marriage work, it's really going to attack that. So my suggestion is to, if you are on the fence, if you could at least answer this question in the affirmative, if you're on the fence, if you already know you don't want to work it out, that's a different thing. But if you're on the fence, you can answer it in the affirmative for like a three to six month process so that you really shelf any thought of divorce or separation so that when those moments come up, you're not constantly being seduced by them. Um, and then you can make a more, um, a more kind of conscious and mindful decision once you've stepped away. And I call this making a decision from the helicopter where you get a lay of the land versus making a decision in the trenches where a lot of times you're more crisis centered um, mm -hmm. and in survival mode. So I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. So um, my next thing is um, if we want to know what we want to do, where we want to go to, I, I do think it's somewhat important to have a roadmap or an equation per se. Equations and roadmaps will usually fail you, but they're still good to have <laughs> so that you have a, a basic lay of the land of, of where you're going. And I do think that this is a pretty good formula. Um, I usually start from this place of really know where you come from and what that means as far as what you're bringing to the table in regards to your strengths and your weaknesses individually and as a couple. Um, when you come from, for example, an LDS background, whether it's um, generational or convert, um, that's going to mean certain things for each of you. Um, you're going to come with certain family backgrounds as well. So not all Mormon families Mormon the same way. You're going to have also some cultural differences, some socioeconomic, maybe possibly differences, conflict style differences, lots of things that are going to be very important for you to understand so that you know, okay, this is kind of where we're at. And therefore, now we know where we can go. And there are some things in Mormonism even that are strengths in regards to doctrinal foundations for mixed faith marriages. And there are weaknesses in Mormon doctrine as well. So even knowing kind of just from where we come from, um, as far as a faith and a religious culture, there are going to be things that are going to be helpful for you and things that maybe are not, just like every other aspect. Um, number two is I think this idea of giving yourself permission and to choose this relational intentionality, which is just what we were talking about. I, need, I think it's really important to know what's possible uh, we don't have a lot of role modeling around mixed faith marriages and mixed faith families. So it's hard to know what you're working towards when you haven't seen like 500 people do it before you. Mm -hmm. That's why I think it's so powerful to have a group like what's been created um, on marriage on a tightrope because you can see what other people are doing. Uh, and so to know what's available, what's possible and how you can create a new vision for your family because the Mormon family um, ideal picture is very practiced and we do have a lot of role modeling about how that works when both parents are Mormon. So we need to start creating that so that you have role modeling to move forward. We need to practice. That's the way you learn. That's the way you really get good and make things sustainable. Information is just the first step. It's educational, but it's not until you put it into practice that it really becomes sustainable and habitual. 
Uh, we want to, of course, then look at tune-ups as you're practicing. What do we need to revisit? What do we need to rework? What do we need to bring back to the drawing table? What did we think was going to work, but it didn't? How do we, you know, use it kind of as a laboratory exploratory um, space? And then how do we have a very clear picture of what we're creating? And if we need deeper work than like a six-week class could offer, how do we get ongoing support or more intensive um, therapy or coaching? Any thoughts from the mounts well, on my amazing more have... equation? <laughs> it's a beautiful formula. Okay. So I, on, on I'm very equational. One... Do you know? Do you want to know why I'm equational? Because I come from Mormonism. <laughs> <laughs> if I do X, Y, and Z, this will happen. That's, that's right. I think that's what we're. I mean, we are conditioned to to want to have an outcome, right? I mean, we want to know, like, what is the roadmap? What what outcome am I going to expect to have? It's. I think it's just indoctrinated in us. <laughs> yeah, it's a charged word, honey. It's yeah, a charged word. Well. So when I look at, at number one, I, one thing I would want to do is sit down and write out what my strengths and weaknesses are, what your strengths and weaknesses are. I think we're probably in a place where we could write down what the other person's strengths and weaknesses are and not cause a fight <laughs> about it and compare those lists. Um, when you were talking about that, one of my weaknesses is I'm very impulsive in my speech. I've learned to control that a little bit, but that also lends itself to a strength because I, um, I help Katie overcome one of her weaknesses, which is she doesn't like to communicate, <laughs> and, uh, especially when it's, um, confrontational or it's uh, she's gotten so much so much better and and so she's, are you saying i confront me. you a lot more well you have fierce conversations <laughs> with me so i don't know making those lists of strengths and weaknesses you get to see kind of how they go together where the friction points are and how how you you work together and you can immediately think of examples of oh my goodness yes i'm so impulsive and and that really actually works well when you don't want to talk because I just come out and say it like, what is wrong? Talk to me. And I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks for that example. <laughs> <Love you. laughs> well, and I like that you brought up that really our strengths usually don't do, I mean, our, our strengths and our weaknesses are usually part of a two-sided coin. You know, right. if I'm, if I'm confident, well, that sometimes that can make me narcissistic. If I'm quiet that can make me a really good listener you know it's like I mean sure you know there's pros and cons to most of the things that we bring to the table definitely yeah and this is um this is actually this formula I can't take total credit for it it's actually modeled after the Plicit model which is actually a sex therapy model for those of you who might not know me I'm also a sex therapist and I've studied sex human sexuality for a long time for about seven years now um, and this is modeled under helping people come when they come in, how do you organize kind of a process with them? And the P stands for permission, giving them permission to talk about something, giving them permission to have the issue that they're having and have a space where it's going to be safe to discuss it. LI stands for limited information. So a lot of times you tell people a few things and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. And that's very helpful. And that's all I needed, you know, and off they yeah. go. 
Um, the SS stands for specific strategies. So again, sometimes with information and then some specific strategies, off they go. And then the IT is intensive therapy. Sometimes that's not enough. You really need to dive into more, right. you know, in-depth kind of processes. So Natasha, we've got a couple of questions. Yeah. Uh, one is asked by our very good friend who we don't want to say his or her name because <laughs> we're being anonymous right now, but how can processing grief get in the way of following the formula? Oh, I think processing grief is going to be all along the formula. <laughs> I, I don't know that there's a step in here where you're not going to have an opportunity to revisit grief. And, you know, we could probably do a whole little another mini lesson on grief and the grief cycle, but basically a mixed faith transition is a grief process for both of you, right? So you're having to grieve a certain type of expectation of what life was going to look like. You're going to have to grieve maybe a certain um, perspective or kind of relationship that you had. Uh, There's just a lot of different things. And so and, though, and, and, and as we know, I was teased that it would be nice if the grief cycle was a to-do checklist, because we, again, as Mormons are very good at those. And if I could just say, oh, check, I'm done mm-hmm. with my anger phase. Right, <laughs> you know, right. or, yep. I'm done with my denial phase. <laughs> I, yeah. I've now reached acceptance, the celestial kingdom, and I'm done. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but that's not how it works. There's there's many times throughout the life cycle and the developmental cycle of where you are in your relationship where you will have opportunities to revisit grief and the many processes that come with that. Great. There's a second question and I'll just read it. It says, how does one negotiate more intimacy in marriage when the other spouse is triggered by this topic? So I don't know if triggered just in the negotiation. I'm not sure exactly listener, if you want to specify what you mean, but it it seems to be asking, uh, I want more intimacy, Mm -hmm. but I can't even bring that up without it triggering Triggering. my spouse. Right. So I think that what is being asked here is that we used to share a certain level of intimacy, maybe in the department of being able to talk about things like our faith, our religion, our ideas, our beliefs. Um, And now whenever that's brought up, it causes this friction and this sadness and this maybe anger, avoidance, right? Some people will avoid the topic at all costs. Some people will want to process it at nauseam. (laughs) Um, So an intimacy that you once shared is now no longer an intimacy that feels um, stable. And that can be very disconcerting to people. So I just want to say that many I think it's a great question. Many of the things that we'll be talking about in the six-week course will hopefully help elevate that ability of reworking that intimacy um, that you once had. It won't look the same, but you can still have um, spiritual, what I call spiritual or ethereal intimacy. I usually talk about intimacies from four different perspectives. There's emotional intimacy, which is how well do we do in sharing our feelings. There's intellectual intimacy, which is how well do we do it being interesting to one another, (laughs) quite frankly. Um, There's spiritual or ethereal intimacy, which is kind of like our shared meaning in life, shared beliefs, our respect for each other's beliefs if they're not shared, um, dreams, goals. 
And then there's physical intimacy, which is your sex life, as well as your um, non-sexual affection, you know, touch and cuddling and holding hands and things like that. So most couples tend to be pretty good at two or three of those and not so great at one or two. Mm-hmm. If you if you married um, another Mormon, like many of us did, uh, you probably shared a bit, you know, probably your spiritual intimacy felt very strong. And so if that was one of the two or three that you had, and now it's no longer feeling very strong, you can see why that might feel like the whole um, foundation is crumbling or, you know, at unease. So we want to help you learn how to rebuild that intimacy and also make sure that you're not just focused on that intimacy, that there are three other levels that you can also be working on. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So moving on. So I want to take a little bit of time to talk about discomfort. So Katie and Alan, I'll put you on the spot since you're my audience. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So growing up Mormon, if we got, you know, kind of, if, if people were talking to us about being uncomfortable, what typically were they trying to teach us in Sunday school? What did discomfort mean? I have an answer, but I want you to answer if you, unless you want me to know. So I think I would associate discomfort at least from what they would teach us in young men or young women is that those are negative feelings from Satan and those, yeah, there we go. There he is. (laughs) Well, that is a disturbing statement. Really cute. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. No, yeah, I definitely was told that um, I should always feel peace. I should I should always feel good about my choices. And if I don't feel good about it, it's because you're in the wrong. So, right. yeah, is that what you were going to say? Yeah, it's it's the spirit has left. That's why you're you're feeling uncomfortable. Why there's discomfort in the air. Right. Yeah, so this is a really big issue, especially if it had to do with stuff that that didn't correlate with the teachings, right? So if you felt uncomfortable about paying your tithing, well, that's because you needed to work on yourself, not because of Satan. <laughs> but if you felt uncomfortable about not reading your scriptures or not having a testimony or doing something maybe sexual that you weren't supposed to be doing, that's because, you know, there was something wrong or evil or upsetting about it. And, you know, I think in Mormon culture, like most Christian cultures and most of American culture, we have a real um, kind of allergy to discomfort that we want to avoid it. Um, Many, many, um, many people deal with avoided conflict styles because of this. And we grew up with this kind of idea that contention is of the devil, right? Mm -hmm. So when your feet, you know, so if all of a sudden you're in a mixed faith relationship and there is contention and there is discomfort, of course, that would be a very normal way to respond to that on either side. Um, this, this can really get in the way of conversation and dialogue and negotiation because anytime you pull the God Trump card or the Satan Trump card, or I would even say the science Trump card, right. they're Trump cards and they don't allow for conversation and negotiation, which is what we really want to help you be able to do. So what I'd like to say is that there might be some other reasons why you might be feeling uncomfortable. One is that danger is afoot. So 
And, um, and if your idea of successful life and, um, you know, was, was the one and only true way, of course, you're going to feel like possibly your spouse's um, issues with the church are going to threaten the status quo. And it is, it is, it is threatening the status quo. Um, and you, if you're the non-believer, um, you may also be feeling like there's some danger afoot um, if your spouse just doesn't follow your lead. So you can feel some very legitimate reasons that there might be some dangers. And we'll talk about what legitimate dangers there are in the course. But other reasons why you might feel uncomfortable is that anytime that you are invited in life to face a challenge, you're usually invited to stretch. And I don't know how many of you can get into that position, but it would take me a oh, long really? time <laughs> of discomfort <laughs> to really work up to that level of flexibility. So is the discomfort bad for me? No, it's good for me. And we actually, again, have a lot of um, history in our Mormonism where we do talk about trials or difficulties as opportunities for growth, for change, for shifting, for learning. And so it's okay to be uncomfortable if you're having to learn something new, if you're having to lean in a direction you've never leaned in before or never expected to lean. Mm -hmm. And then the last one that I'll talk about is, um, I mean, I don't know how many of you have gone through physical therapy for surgery. I have several times. And um, that's very uncomfortable. Healing is uncomfortable. So sometimes when you have a faith transition is opportunities to heal aspects of your relationship that you haven't attended to before or um, heal aspects of your background that you haven't attended to before. And it's going to be uncomfortable. I, mean, I, I oftentimes remember driving thinking I am voluntarily driving myself to the torture chamber <laughs> Why am I doing that? Right? But I did that because I knew I wanted my leg to work. I knew I wanted to be able to ski again, you know, after I tore my ACL, you know, and so I knew I wanted to face that discomfort in order to heal. So I don't know what you guys are thoughts are about reasons for discomfort, but I think this is really important. Yeah. I mean, this is a, I, I think a lesson that I didn't learn until just a couple of years ago outside of athletics of, you know, weight training and uh you're you're literally tearing down your muscles so that they can be strengthened uh you're putting yourself deliberately through discomfort so that you can grow and that's something that in my own personal journey i've i have felt and in our our mixed faith marriage that as as you have those fierce conversations when katie read that book and she came to me and said we're going to have some conversations i was like dang girl let's do this and when she would bring those <laughs> things up yeah, it was uncomfortable. It, uh, I'm not used to her confronting me and imposing that discomfort on me, but we sat down and we had those conversations and we felt that discomfort and you, you come out stronger because of it. I like the example of healing is discomfort because it does take time to heal and it does take baby steps. You know, it's not going to be all at once. And then you, when you see yourself making progress, you get confident and you feel like, okay, I can do this. And, and so I think that that's a good example is that healing, you're going to find discomfort, but you're also going to gain confidence in that healing. You know, if you're doing, if you're talking, if you're, if you're doing the things to, to help you move along and um, that's really important too in your marriage. 
Awesome. All right, so we want to really start out with this idea that if you're going to reconstruct something, you do need to deconstruct. And so we're going to encourage you as you hopefully um, go with us on this journey to not resist delving into the past. Um, a lot of times in uh, therapy settings, I hear people say, oh, I don't want to dwell in the past or I don't want to blame my parents or I don't want to you know, um, spend a lot of time being sad about things that I can no longer control. And there is some wisdom in that. I'm not a big fan of spending a lot of time on the past. Um, you know, psychotherapy, psychodynamic therapy back in like more Freudian days was more about spending years on the couch. We don't really do that much in therapy anymore. Therapy has become a little bit more solution focused. But there is wisdom also in understanding where you come from. Uh, when we talk about your family and your parents and the church and all these things, it's not that we're trying to be mad at them or hold them accountable or be super angry. It's that we need to understand patterns and systems so that we know what we're up against and where we need to go next. So um, whether that's intergenerational dynamics or church cultural dynamics, I think it's really important. And somebody had already mentioned grief work and I'm like, yep, that's part of this, mm -hmm. which includes anger. Sorry. <laughs> And yeah, and, and we're going to talk a lot about the, the importance and also the paralyzation of anger. Anger is a very important and motivating emotion. It can also be a place where people get stuck and it can be a real form of contention in a mixed faith relationship. So part of the course will be really um, deconstructing how to make anger uh, a motivational, powerful emotion in your process and not one that gets you stuck or paralyzed or um, kind of toxic, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And we really want to help you create, again, blueprints of what you want to build. So the metaphor of like remodeling, of tearing something down and making it better, sometimes you're able to keep a lot of the framing of a home. Sometimes you got to just burn the whole place down and start <laughs> over. <laughs> yes, it depends on where you come from and where you want to go as far as how much work this will take. Um, but understanding where you're going is very important. Have we uh, started reconstructing, Katie? I think so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to give too much away of what we're doing. I absolutely think that we have. And uh, in many of ways, uh, there's the weekly uh, agenda uh, and topics that we're covering. Going through those, those topics and building that, that material and, and talking about it, we've looked at ways of, oh my goodness, remember how this used to be and now look at what it is today. I'm being very general and vague, but is it's a really helpful process for me to just be able to look back and, and know that a lot of ground has been made and, and we're building something different than, than what we uh, thought we were going to have. That's not always a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing in many ways. I think too, because, um, Alan doesn't, I mean, the church is really good at giving us the, you know, blueprint and you see your life and it's very scary when that's taken away. But when you're also in the construction phase, it's kind of fun to decide what, what do I want? What do right. we want? And what does our future look like? That's a very exciting um, notion when you get to that point. I love that. Yeah. And and um, you're absolutely right. The church actually does a really good job of creating 
a blueprint that um, actually is very helpful in many ways to many people. And there usually are things there that you can very much keep, you know, and that are actually very beneficial to any blueprint, but there might be ways that you can tweak things or create a whole new room that you never even imagined was possible (laughs) or, you know, or create a different look. Um, And there's lots of different beautiful homes out there that look very different and yet still serve the same purpose. And I think that's really important to give yourselves permission to look different and yet still have all the essential ingredients of a, of an effective home environment. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what maybe is keeping um, you or your spouse from signing up for this class. And these are some of the things that I usually hear from people, you know, uh, maybe this is like a tender topic, like somebody had mentioned earlier. I'm not sure I want to bring up the conflict of talking to my spouse about taking this class. Um, I'm already maybe in a place where I don't know if there's much hope for us. Um, I've tried to get my spouse to do it, but they don't want to. Um, I'm not sure I want to compromise my standards or values or beliefs or ideas. Um, And I'm afraid that this class is maybe going to make me do that. Um, I'm afraid um, that if we really do stop avoiding it and really face it, what that might mean and whether or not that would actually end up being a good thing for us or not. Do you resonate with any of these reasons or hear? Yeah, I I was going to say, I think like a common one is is just the avoidance of the subject altogether and people don't want to face it head on and i can completely understand how they feel uh, the problem problem it doesn't go away you know we've met with a number of couples who uh at, they kind of have swept it under the rug and it's been a year plus now and one one spouse is really struggling you know because they they haven't faced any of this and they have avoided talking about it while the other one is just thinking that everything is totally fine and their marriage is great and things are going well. And we talked to a lot of, a lot of couples that are in that position. So what would you say to them, Natasha, if, if they're just trying to avoid it, what, what are the um, dangers of doing that? Yeah, well, we do know that avoiding things that um, are important to you does affect your mental health. I mean, that's like one of, that's a mental health issue. In fact, a lot of what therapy is about is helping people do or face the thing that they know they are avoiding, <laughs> right? Um, so that's, that's, that's something to think about. Um, I also, I mean, a little bit of what you're talking about goes into some of my motivation slides. So is it okay if I just kind of move on? Yeah. Yes, perfect. So a lot of times when you're dealing with this, you assume somebody isn't motivated. And so I would just like to reframe that. I think most everyone is motivated. And I'll tell you what most everyone is motivated by, unless you're a sociopath. Sorry, but you're not a sociopath. (laughs) Most of us are motivated by connection. Most of us want to feel connected to our partner. Most of us want to feel safe in our attachment with our partner. Most of us want to feel like our partner has our back, like we matter, that we're seen, that we're of value. Now, motivation can show up in two very classic ways, and this is sweeping with wide brushes, but there's sometimes a motivation to move, to move into something different, to change, to um, shift what is currently happening. But there's also a motivation to protect and to keep the stability and the status quo. So in most 
marriages, there can be some very classic pursuer or withdrawer patterns where one person may wants to pursue the problem, wants to address the problem, wants to resolve the problem, uh, and one person is more like, I'd rather avoid the problem, I'd rather have space from the problem, and there's actually wisdom in both of those um, methodologies, if that makes sense. There is wisdom in movement and change. There is wisdom in stability and status quo. And so instead of seeing that maybe as a big deterrent or that you're not compatible or that all is you know, doomed, if you could actually see that as an asset, that maybe if you're different in that way, you both bring something valuable to the, to the table. Any thoughts about that? Well, I, it's more of an anecdotal personal thought of, and that always makes Katie nervous when I start to share things like that. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's quite funny because I'm, I'm changing, I ch kind of changed the contract, right? I changed, uh, and I'm, I'm pushing, I'm not trying to push or pull her out of her beliefs or out of the church, but I'm the one that has changed and, and is forcing this upon us. Uh, and in other aspects of our marriage, it's the opposite. It's, you know, Katie wants to move the family to Italy for 90 days. Katie, not right now, but Katie wants to, uh, <laughs> Katie wants to um, go on a tour of, of the U S and live in different cities for a month at a time. Katie wants to do these things and uh, put a hot tub in the backyard. And she just painted the fireplace yesterday and today, and she's doing all of these things. And, and it, that stresses me out. Like think, thinking of putting in a hot tub and like, oh my gosh, I'm not that good of a salesman. How do, how do, I pay, how do we pay for this? And um, how do we pay for these, these vacations and, and these, these travel things? And so I'm trying to like keep us locked down and stable here. And she wants to go on these adventures. And whatever we do, I love it. And so I, I'm like resistant to it, but still trying to keep us financially stable. Not that she's irresponsible in that way. But it's very interesting that uh, the, some of these uh, differences are not, are not um, uniform across all different categories, if you will, if you can say it that way, in, in the marriage. We, we kind of fit different roles in different aspects of the marriage. Well, and I love how you're really pointing out that, that it is an asset. It's an asset because you push each other in the ways that, you know, you wouldn't push yourself maybe if you weren't attached to each other. After a few trips, Alan will say, do you just need my money? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, but for this, yes. She likes, she likes the chest as a pillow once every three or four nights. So I think that's, that's good too. Oh. Um, now this is a, a sobering comment uh, that, that I'll read here. Um, one of the, the live listeners says, my wife is trying to avoid this. I am in a great non-believing place. Now my sweet wife is so triggered by even bringing this subject up. Now we both avoid it to keep happiness. It is a weird place to be. She only gets info from, um, LDS websites. Now, uh, even your play, even your page, meaning marriage and tightrope and Facebook altogether. She just avoids mm -hmm. that's. Uh, not an uncommon place to be, Natasha. You were gonna. No, say I, I do think that that's that's a, not an uncommon place to be, and that she she's probably in a space of protection and and um, discomfort and pain, and so avoiding the topic, at least in the short term, can can do that. 
Um, and there, are, I think sometimes there's seasons when that's actually an okay thing to do, you know, that you may not be able to face everything right away. Um, at the same time, avoiding conflict, it's kind of like, isn't it Brene Brown that says when you avoid feelings, you don't just avoid the difficult feelings, you avoid the positive feelings, right? right? So you are, when you avoid certain types of intimacy and closeness and connection, it does affect your intimacy overall. It's like, there's this area that we know we're not going to touch. So conflict is protected, but intimacy isn't. So every choice you make in that regard is, um, comes at a cost, right? Comes with a consequence per se. So the consequence of being more intimate and dealing with more conflict might cost some pain and some discomfort and some uncertainty, but also staying in very safe places of avoidance also costs you levels of intimacy. So that's, that's an ongoing dance mm -hmm. uh, that you have to kind of navigate and right. some couples do better at that than others and for different time frames. Um, so let's, let's dive into even a little, a little bit deeper, because I think that there's the next two slides. One is going to be more about, okay, if I'm the one that's, that's resisting taking the class, what do I need to be thinking about? Right. And then the, the other slide is more about, okay, if my partner is the one resisting the class, what might I be thinking about? So let's start with me, right? So a good question to ask yourself is, well, am I scared? Am I hurt? Am I in some type of relational pain? Like there's probably a reason why I'm in protective mode, right? So when you think about a hurt animal, what's a hurt animal doing? They're not like, here I am, come get me. They're in a corner, you know, like <laughs> lashing out at the person who's trying to help them, but they don't know that. And they, they just feel like they're in danger. So they're, they're getting into fetal position. They're gnashing their teeth. And they're in a corner trying as much as they can to protect themselves. So if we're in a space of resistance, usually there's pain. And that's something that's important for us to face and to um, be willing to look at. Um, am I hopeless for change? Therefore paralyzed from even trying. You know, sometimes the stories we tell ourselves, the cognitive distortions that we have uh, really paralyze us. It's like, what's the point? nothing's going to change. Uh, do I feel broken? Am I broken? Am I not enough in this relationship? Do I feel like no matter what I do, it's not going to be enough? Um, am I worried that if I commit to this, that I might give my partner false expectations? Right? So if I say, sure, honey, I'll take the class. That means that you, you're hopeful that I might come back to church or that I might leave church. Right? So I don't want to give you any of that expectations. I'm just going to avoid the whole thing altogether. Right. Um, I don't want to lock myself in right to things. Um, am I feeling pressured or disrespected by my spouse? Like is my spouse pressuring or encouraging this class in inappropriate ways? Right. So I'm feeling like resistance and defensiveness instead of an invitation. And is my, um, is my kind of like what one of the people said is my overall satisfaction, actually, Katie, you were talking about this. If, if I'm satisfied at a higher level than my partner's satisfied, I might be like, I think things are okay. Why do we need to take this class? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm doing fine over here. Yeah. But uh, if your partner is saying, hey, I'm really struggling and I'd really like to take this class, that might be something to be tuning into. I'm always 
really um, saddened when a couple's coming in for marriage therapy or divorce actually therapy at that point. And they're just like, you know, they're like, one person's like, I'm ready to, to get a divorce. And the other person tells me, I didn't even see this coming. Usually when somebody tells me they didn't see it coming because they weren't paying attention and they were very comfortable, whatever was happening was good enough for them, but the partner, it wasn't good enough. And so that is dangerous. That's something that you should be afraid of, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Back to the bear yeah. in the tent imagery. So thoughts about this, as far as just why might I, why might I be resistant to be taking this class? I think that it's hard to ask yourself this question, right? Because you have to be honest with yourself. And I think it's hard for people to admit where they're at or how they feel or to feel discomfort or to feel bad about, you know, where they, they, might, they might be. Um, I think that that's, it's one thing to ask your partner, right? Because the, the pressure's on them. But I think it's, it's much more difficult to, to ask, ask yourself. yourself the question. Yeah, that third, that third bullet point reminds me of a lesson that we learned pretty, pretty early on um, after I had kind of come to my conclusion about my beliefs, that uh, if there's something positive, if I have a positive experience with the church, that third bullet point, similar to what you outlined with the course, uh, I, I'm thinking to myself, Am I giving her false hope if I say something like, I really enjoyed that talk? Or uh, do I have to be constantly negative so she can see that, it, that this is a bad thing? And vice versa, if, if Katie, and I think at least in our marriage, I think that was the more likely scenario. If Katie saw something that she didn't like about her experience at church uh, or something to do with, with the church in general, uh, there would be, would there be a hesitation for her to not say that to me because I'm going to go yes, one step further, one step closer. And, um, well, and then there's that, I mean, you could, you could have dug dog piles on anything I said. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's a big part of it. Um, it's, it's really an olive branch and it's building that bridge over to your spouse of when when something, it's not all black and white, there's this big gray area. And if something positive happens in my experience with the church, that's me showing her that, hey, I still appreciate things about um, the organization that you still associate with. And I really appreciated uh, Elder Holland's talk or this, this message. Uh, I think that's, that's quite important. So a little bit off topic, but fits that third bullet point that you just walked us through. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right, Katie. It is hard. And a lot of what we're, our goal here is to teach emotional intelligence, right? And, and that's, again, something most of us are not naturally good at or born with. Right. I usually say, you know, it's interesting that um, we as human beings rely on connection to survive. And yet our instinct to survive will trump connection every time. Right. So even though we need connection, if I feel threatened, the last thing I'm going to do in that moment is usually connect. So mm -hmm. emotional intelligence is actually getting past our instincts, um, which is very, very difficult because your instincts for survival are kicking in in nanoseconds. Right. As yeah. you're having these kinds of relational um, 
discourses together. So it's, it's very, very, it really takes skill and practice to get to a point where your emotional intelligence is, is better than what we just came wired with supposedly. Right. So when you are not motivated, you know, if my partner's the one who's resistant, um, you know, I think some things that you can be thinking are, well, am I willing to take the risk to share my complaints in the first place? Sometimes when we have a resistant partner, when we have the partner that says, oh, this is no big deal, or I don't want to, we just shut down. Again, that discomfort um, keeps us from really self-advocating. And again, because many of us are avoidant, we'd rather just not, not ruffle the waters. And um, so it does take some, I guess, some bravery, some courage to actually stay in the process and say, hey, actually, this is really important to me, or I get what you're saying, but I need you to listen to me too, right? And to continue the conversation and not at the first kind of discomfort to just back up and say, fine, then, you know, so how do you stay engaged in a process of asking respectfully for what your needs are? I, you probably do need to think, am I pressuring in ways that leave my partner feeling invalidated, broken, or less than? So is the way that I'm going about inviting my partner to this not helping me, right? right. Am I shooting myself in the foot in mm -hmm. how I'm going about this process? Um, another idea that I talk about a lot is, uh, am I participating in protection intimacy instead of real intimacy? I think um, in Mormon marriages, this has been very much role modeled as well as, again, I, I see a lot of Mormon culture attached to American culture, at least Mormon United States culture, where we um, have talked a lot about protecting our spouse, you know, especially like Mormon men have been told to not offend their, their wives and to treat them like they're beautiful, you know, special flowers and um, and even as women, we've been told you to be a helpmeet to your partner and be a comforter. And so those things are kind of, they're, they're loving in a way, and yet they don't really engender really showing up. They don't really engender showing up, especially if what shows up I know is going to hurt you. So if I'm going to be real with you, if I'm going to be honest with you, it is going to be uncomfortable. It is going to be hurtful. And so I'm in this space of, but I can't hurt you. I need to protect you. That's a false intimacy. So am I really able to show up and show you who I am? Um, our feelings, again, of rejection getting in the way of compassionate curiosity. So uh, because your partner maybe is um, resistant, do you just get, you know, feel this rejection and this hopelessness instead of getting curious? What, why is this difficult for you? Why are you struggling with uh, taking this class or with my suggestion about this? Have I been a problem and how I've come across with it, right? So are you asking questions that really elicit curiosity as to why your partner is struggling? And, um, and again, do I pursue in, way that, in a way that actually lessens the likelihood that I'll get what I want? Am I pressuring? Am I belittling? Am I being condescending? Am I sharing my anger and my frustrations instead of my sadness or my, my, um, my feelings of empathy and things of that nature? Yeah. We have a question that, that fits right here. And with the thoughts that, that I have at least, mm -hmm. um, the question is how do you balance between asking for your, your spouse to change or, or to do something versus loving them the way that they are? And are those two things mutually exclusive? Can you do both of those things? That wasn't part of the question. I added that last part. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that is the question of marriage, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, on the one on the on the one coin, the one side of the coin is I need you to accept me and love me as I am. You know, just this is who I am and you need to accept me and love me the way I am. Um, but the other side of that coin is that other person is saying that too. <laughs> you need to accept right. me the way I am. Mm-hmm. And so, so if the way I am is I don't want to take this class, and the way I am is I do want to take this class, then you're in a conundrum. <laughs> right, right. And so every marriage, every relationship really, but in marriage in particular, requires a balance of compromise. Um, we talk a lot about authenticity, especially in post-Mormon land. Probably those who are still in are probably sick of the word authenticity. Um, and so I talk a lot about systemic authenticity. We do all kinds of things for the people that we love that aren't necessarily motivated by individual interest. Uh, I change poopy diapers. I do laundry. I <laughs> clean poopy butts. I you know, do all kinds of things. And I do that not because I woke up that morning going, oh, I feel like it's very authentic of me right now to change a piece of paper. (laughs) No, but I woke up feeling authentic as a mom, right? Or a wife or a partner or a parent uh, or a daughter or whatever those things are. And so your needs matter and my needs matter. And so usually effective couples have a general kind of um, John Gottman talks about this as far as like bank deposits, you know, kind of this idea of emotional bank accounts, where both of you have the capacity to lean towards the other person when something is very important to them, and they also have the capacity to lean towards you. Where couples run into a problem is when it's too one-sided, right? Um, and every couple will have some unresolvable issues, so maybe this is one of them, maybe you're not going to take this class, right? Maybe this is an unresolvable issue, but you also have resolvable uh, problems and those are the ones that you want to focus on. We are hoping through this class that the taking of this class is not the problem. We're hoping that the taking of this class is helping you resolve the aspects of your mixed faith marriage that are solvable. Yeah, this, this reminds me of just on that one specific topic of church attendance, looking at, looking at how our family has approached that compromise of church attendance since we began the podcast, uh, began in January, 2018. And there was at that date, we were, you are there, you being the family, we're going to be there every single week for all three hours. And that's how it is. And since then, two two years, four months later, we've gone to, we've had periods where I have not gone at all. Um, I didn't like being alone. Uh, she didn't like me not being there. Uh, so we've we've constantly had this this not tug of war, but this back and forth of compromise of she under, understanding that why it's difficult for me to be there, and so understanding why I can't be. And then when I'm at home, I'll be making lunch or cleaning up. Uh, some of the time, and <laughs> I don't want to create an unrealistic expert or a painting of what's actually happening at home. I leveled quite a bit in Warcraft during those Sundays, but um, that, and then you go all the way to uh, where we're at today, which is nobody's attending church. But once church is back in session, uh, it's on the first Sunday of each month we have home church, and we build the agenda together. And then on the rest of the Sundays, I attend sacrament and then leave after sacrament. 
and she and the kids stay. And that's just where we are right now. And we reserve the right for that not to work in the future. And if it continues to work, great, we'll continue to do it. I think one of the biggest lessons that we've learned is be willing to try. Just we're, we're willing to try it. And that's what that compromise is, is about. And if it's a bad experience, shoot, man, we've had a bunch of those. That's okay. We'll have a bad experience and we'll, we'll compromise and move forward with the next one. Yeah. I really like that example because um, it allows for flexibility. It allows for not having to make decisions that are final, that you can come back to the drawing table and say, you know, I thought this might work, but it's really not working for me. This is why, how else mm -hmm. could we compromise on this, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. All right. So yeah. Did you have anything, Katie? No. Yeah. No, no. All right. So we're just going to kind of finish up with some strategies on maybe having these conversations about um, why it might be important to uh, prioritize your time, your energy, some money into this process of taking a class like, like this one. I think it is important to not leave your mixed faith marriage to chance. You know, I think that most, like you're saying, I think one of you said, sometimes it's just easier to avoid the pain. And that feels like that'll be the better thing because you avoid that initial conflict. And yet that leaves a lot of things to chance. And when you leave things to chance, you um, can be surprised in some really um, unfortunate ways down the road. Plus anything that we want in life that's usually worthwhile means it takes some effort. It needs some planning. It needs some no, no, I mean, I would love to just say, I would like, I would love to leave my biceps to chance, you know, <laughs> just, just have them magically appear, Doesn't work. Right? <laughs> but anything that's usually worthwhile requires work. And, and again, yeah. from our Mormon ethic that we come from, that's, a, that's very much driven into us and why um, uh, I actually love working with, with Mormon people in general, whether they're believers or post-believers or in the middle because we, they tend to have very good work ethic, um, which makes working in this kind of uh, field very rewarding because people are serious about improving. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think that you can do an assessment using this presentation. Hopefully you can sit down as a partnership and revisit what we've been talking about in the slides and say, okay, this is where I see us in this. This is where I see myself in this. This is maybe some of the ways that we have struggled to talk or discuss and maybe this could be an asset for us etc um, and then I'm going to share with you a script which will actually include some things that I'd like to talk to you about so I'm going to include a repair attempt repair attempts are important John Gottman talks about those I'm going to um, include a sandwich approach I'm going to talk about systemic blame and I'm going to talk about process focus. These are actually four things that can help your relationship. So um, we can start with, I love you. So this is the sandwich approach. We're going to start with bread. Bread is soft. Bread is carby. Bread is delicious. Mm. You're going to start with <laughs> soft, yummy stuff, not, hey, why aren't we taking this class? Right? It's more <laughs> like, so you want to start relationally. I love you. Like more than anything. I want to feel connected to you, honey, right? Like I want us to feel intimate. I want to feel like 
I can share anything with you. I want to feel like we can trust each other. You know, fill in the blank to what's important to you. I want this with you. You matter to me. You're, you're my choice. You're my partner, right? We like, we connected for reasons that maybe we don't know all the time why, but we did. And that mm. really is meaningful to me, right? So start with the bread. Then um, let's, let's go into some systemic blame. So many times we're blaming ourselves or we're blaming our partner. And usually these issues are much bigger than the two of you. So how can you say something like, I think we might be, we might be doing the best we know how. Um, I think that we're coming at this with good intentions. I don't think that either one of us are waking up in the morning trying to ruin each other's lives. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's the intent. Um, but I also don't think that maybe our upbringings or our church or our families um, or even some of our genetics and biology equipped us to really have the tools we need to know how to manage this particular struggle. Um, I always tease that the Mormons are really good at coming up with manuals and having a lot of instructions, but not for how to leave the church <laughs> and not how to have a mixed faith marriage, right? So, um, which is typically what church would have those kinds of manuals? Nobody would, right? The Catholics don't want you to leave. The Jews don't want you to leave. Nobody wants you right. to leave. So they're not going to help you do that. <laughs> but that leaves you in a space of vulnerability, right? And so, and you haven't been equipped with tools and knowing how to do that well. Um, so that's systemic blame. We're not going to blame something bigger than the two of us so that then we can join in that fight. Instead of us being the enemies, we have a bigger enemy, which is a miseducation on this particular topic. Does that make sense? Yeah. Then we're going to talk about, um, again, we're going to do, we're going to put the meat in. So in the sandwich approach, now we're going to talk, we're going to say the heavy stuff, the meat so, uh, and we're also going to, we're going to do that in a way that really focuses on process, which is your feelings, not information, which is like, um, like the last thing you should be talking about is Joseph Smith or the enzyme or the book of Mormon. Like that's, you're going to talk about your feelings right? <laughs> when you're approaching this. So I need to be able to talk to you about what I need. Um, you're my wife, you're my husband, right? I know that I need to be able to listen to you better. Uh, I want more than what we currently have. What we currently have isn't good enough. I want to be able to not have this divide between us. I want to be able to have a discussion about some of these things without both of us kind of, you know, ending in tears or kind of um, in fights. Um, I think that getting help from qualified professionals uh, who are offering a program for people in our circumstance is the wise decision. I think that this is really, I feel strongly that this would be very helpful. I want to do this with you. Um, and I want to do it in a way that we can be strong and empowered and not feel broken or disappointed with one another. Um, if, if we don't do this, I'm concerned for us. I'm concerned about our viability as a couple. I'm scared. I don't want to lose our marriage, right? So you're talking about process. I'm scared. I'm sad. I'm you know, I'm worried um, and I'm hurting over this, right? So you're sharing a lot of feelings, okay? And then um, the last thing, you're going to wrap it up with a repair attempt, which means you're going to give an olive branch. John Gottman talks a lot about how successful, effective couples are constantly offering and receiving repair attempts. Uh, they're bids, right? They're, you're bidding, you're giving an emotional bid. So you can say, I'm sorry. 
for the ways that I've contributed to this, to the, the dilemmas that we're having. Um, I may not even totally understand how I'm, I'm contributing to the problems. Um, and I think I need to learn how I am. I think that's what this class is going to help teach me and you, right? And I want to do better. I want to do better in my own reactivity, in my own emotional maturity, um, in my intelligence, um, emotionally, etc. So please forgive me for probably the many ways um, I have hurt you. And maybe you know what those ways are. Maybe you actually know. And so be very specific about the ways that you feel like you've hurt your partner in this process. Yeah. Can I try to do this live? Yeah. That approach real quick. Okay. Do it. So the topic. No. The, the <laughs> no topic. Okay, okay, but wait, but, okay, but wait, before I, sorry, there was one last piece. So there's the last bread, the last piece of the sandwich. You can't, that's, you, you either have to go full protein style with no bread or you <laughs> two slices. So give us the last slice, please. So it's just like, again, coming back to the marriage, right? Like, I love you. I chose you. I, we have, I love our kids. I love so, you know, I, there's so many things I love about you. I've learned so much from you, right? I've grown up with you. If you've been, if you got married in your early twenties and you're now in your thirties or forties, I'm sorry, but you've grown up with this person. Like mm. you were stupid to begin with. <laughs> and You've gone through a whole developmental stage together. Right. So, um, so just, you know, it's ending with this kind of love and this bid for emotional connection. Okay. okay. Alan, take it away. Okay. okay. You want to hear it? Yep. Okay. So this is real time. And this is, this is something we hopefully can all relate to. We don't get any alone time during this lockdown stuff because <laughs> the kids, we've got four of them and there are just blankets on top of us at all times. Yeah. So Katie, I love you more than easily more than the kids, but more than anything else in this whole world, I love you. And I want nothing more than just to get some alone time with you because you're my best friend. And I, I absolutely love you. It's not, I know it's not like our fault that we're not getting that time. We've never been through something like this before. We've never had to be locked in our home for two months uh, and figure out how to, have a good relationship with our kids and with each other and be school teachers all of a sudden and work from home in this sweatshop of an office where, I mean, I'm not this bald. I'm just, I'm just wet. And, <laughs> um, but like, I want you to know, I, I need, I need to be able to have that time with you. We don't, it's, I, I'm sorry for, uh, I've said that I would I would um, get off of work a little early to help with dinner, and it hasn't happened as much as I would like. I I could do a better job at at pushing us to go on on more walks around the neighborhood. Today was a great day. I love the walk that we had, and that little alone time was great. Even though one kid was with us, uh, he wasn't paying attention to us. And I just I love you, and I want more time with you. How'd I do? Was that okay? That was great. Okay, I mean, move on. But, so but really, the person you probably need to ask more than me is Katie. <laughs> well, I was looking at her in the in the on the screen. <laughs> I mean all of that. I want more alone time. Can we wrap this up? We want to go watch The Office. I'm kidding. <laughs> are you are you avoiding her response? <laughs> no. What, what do you think? I I agree. We do need some more time together, and I love you also. And let's find a way that we can we can 
work it into the schedule where we can be alone and be without the kids and spend quality time together. So thank you for that. I love it. I'm stopping the video so we can kiss real quick. <laughs> oh no, they heard it. That's all right. All right. We're back. Oh, I want to kiss. (laughs) 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 All right. So um, to wrap it up, you know, if you saw value in what we shared tonight, uh, this is just really some ideas just to kind of get you thinking about what we might be offering. We have the topics on what we will be offering. We'll be talking about how to understand faith transitions to begin with, what they're about and why they tend to happen and how they happen. We're going to talk a lot about um, kind of relational components that can help you as well as parenting, as well as um, family and friends and um, ward uh, relationships like ecclesiastical leaders and boundaries. There's going to be a lot of content that I think will be very um, useful information, lots of specific strategies and so if you're interested, if you like our style, that's sometimes important. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you don't like the person who's teaching you, then you probably want to find another teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Right. Yeah. There's not a, uh, a ton of teachers. <laughs> if we're comfortable enough for you and you enjoy our personalities and stuff, uh, we would like to invite you to um, register and sign up for our class. It's starting Monday night. So April 13th, is that right? Do I have that right? Yep, that's right. And you can and- find information on either my website directly, natashaparker.org. I have a link to it or on eventbrite.com. Yep. You can find it on Eventbrite by searching for workshop on a tightrope under the online events. Uh, I think all they have now is online events. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> right. So yeah, you, you definitely, uh, we would love to have you and we're excited for it to get started. That's right. So I'll stop the share and um, yeah. So, and we'll make sure to, and and link to these, to it, you know, on the Facebook feeds and social media feeds, but we are so glad you spent this time with us tonight. And um, Alan and Katie, thank you so much for joining me on this project. Thanks Natasha. We're so excited to have you as well. All right. So do we want to stop the recording and then, well, I don't know if you want to ask more questions before we stop the recording or do you want me to stop the recording? Does any, yeah. If that? any, does anybody have any questions before we stop the recording? And I don't know if anyone, you know, people that we've had a number of people join and drop and join and drop. So those that are still here, if you have any questions, um, about, doesn't have to be about the workshop, but it certainly can be, uh, feel free to, to type them in here, but then, we could, if there aren't any, we can just stop the recording, open it up so that you can join your, uh, you could share your video and say hi if you'd like. And I just see some of the names on here and I love you guys so much. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we're probably good to stop the recording. Oh, how often are the workshop classes, April? uh, Someone asked. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, So yeah, it's going to be, so once a week, so on Monday nights, we will have kind of like a lecture kind of like we did tonight, a class, right? um, And at the end of each class, it'll be an interactive class and it will only be open to registrants so you can protect your anonymity that way. And and so you can either ask questions along the way or at the end of each class, we'll have time for Q&A. Then during the week, we will probably have like a little video where we will just share with you some homework assignments that we want you to try. Usually by either Tuesday or Wednesday night, you'll get those. Wednesday, I think that's what we're saying. (laughs) Okay, Wednesday, we don't want to over promise. 
Um, and then on Sunday nights, we will have uh, like an hour, hour and a half just for Q&A. So whoever's part of the class can just show up. If you've got questions, we'll take them. If nobody shows up, we'll go to bed. So that's kind of how we're going to do it. And that's going to happen for six weeks. And it's all going to be recorded. So even if you can't participate live on some of the on some of the events, you'll still have access to all of the lectures, the PowerPoints, um, the Q&A recordings, and of course the homework assignments. So that's, that's what you can expect. We had a question that said, unfortunately, I missed the majority of this meeting. Is there any way I can get an email of the different slides you shared, please? We will be posting the video to the Marriage on a Tightrope page as well. Um, as as well. So you can either watch the whole thing or uh, skip ahead to see those different slides. Um, I think that would be a good way to do it. Also, for anyone who does sign up, we'll send it out in, yeah. the, in the course. So um, if, if you end up signing up, but you missed some, some of it, or um, yeah, if you're in it tonight and you decide and you've already signed up, we'll have those slides for you as well. All right. So I'm going to stop recording. And then if you want to talk to people, when it's done, we're going to see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't want to leave. Cause if change is what you need, you can change right next to me. When you're high, I'll take the lows. You can ebb and I can flow. We'll take it slow and grow as we go. Grow as we go.